Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Scripture comes from Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated in the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around, stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Yes, thank you very much, Carol. Uh, when you pay, when we pay our World Evangelism Fund budget, or as we like to call it around here, the WEF budget, it's people like Carol Rittenhouse uh, who are benefited by that. So thank you, Carol, very much for your presentation. The more I study the book of Revelation, the less confident I am in my ability to preach what I have read and studied because words just fail me. There are such big images here and such big conversations happening here that it, that it at times seems silly to try. And so we try silliness every once in a while. So like 10 years ago, I asked everyone, we, we put in every one of the worship folders one of these things. You might recognize this, what this is. This is a, a, an old pair of 3D glasses. They are much more sophisticated these days. And, and I had all of you put them on, and so I got to preach to you for about this long with everybody wearing these and preaching to Gerard Tashin with this on is just an incredible thing. Um, but I did this because I wanted you to know this about the book of Revelation. It is mischaracterized as a book about all the things that are going to happen someday. And hear me say that again, it is mischaracterized as a book about all the things that are gonna happen someday. It is not about all the things that are gonna happen someday, it's more terrifying than that in some sense. It's about things that are going to happen all the time. It's about things that happen all the time. And so I wanted you to wear the 3D glasses so that you would understand that this is not something that's sort of flattened out in the, in the future, a future that perhaps you would never experience given your lifespan. No, no, no. You are in the action. It's what a 3D movie is supposed to give you that sensation that you're somehow in the action, in the line of fire. Everything is happening around you. Yeah, that's how you read the book of Revelation. And this is crucially important. The book of Revelation happens because the resurrected Christ is frustrated that the people of God, the body of Christ, are living beneath their privilege as the people of God, the body of Christ, the resurrected Christ. Everything is supposed to change in the aftermath of the resurrection and all God's people said, except that sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And so Jesus shows up to John on the island of Patmos where he has been excommunicated. Jesus shows up and says, what gives? This is my revised standard version, okay? He says, what gives? 
I want you to write to all of the churches, all seven of them, and we understand seven to mean all of the churches, including this one. Write to all the churches and tell them we won. Can we please start acting as if we won? He has this message to seven different churches that did exist in those days. Five churches were not doing it right. A couple of churches were doing pretty well. And those churches that were doing pretty well were suffering because they were doing it well. The churches that weren't doing it very well perhaps weren't suffering because they were not yet worshiping the God who conquers death in Christ. Okay, renovation. Renovation is uh, the name of our sermon series. In fact, it's the book of renovation, and so we're gonna be talking about projects, renovation projects, and I'm gonna talk to us again about the bus here pretty soon. What we're gonna do is we're gonna get everybody together, and we're going to even further uh, demolish. Demolition is actually a part of renovation. You know this, right? In fact, many of the same tools that you will use to restore, you will have used to demolish what was. Okay, so not too long ago, people got together and they just sort of gutted the bus. We have actually a little bit more gutting to do, but this was a part of the demolition uh, process. I am here to tell you that Jesus was great at the demolition process. In In fact, if you think about it, Jesus demolished the Roman Empire, exposed it for the house of cards that it actually was, exposed the Roman Empire that was so organized according to its own power that it did not recognize that it could collapse underneath its own weight until this Jesus took and mocked their power. You see, the greatest power anybody has is to actually silence and kill another. And so the Roman Empire flexes its muscles, and it did this a lot, by the way, did this a lot, it would say, hey, you will do it our way or else. Have you heard yourself say that recently? Have you heard somebody else say that recently? You will do it our way or else. The Roman Empire was great at that. Very dangerous. In Jesus' childhood, he probably saw the 2,000 people that were crucified when they dared run afoul. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was built on this core conviction that might makes right. The Roman Empire thought it was very important to be the world's greatest superpower in every sort of way. So much so, the Roman Empire said, we can guarantee you peace, the Pax Romana, which happens when we kill everybody else. By the way, we Christians have this word It's handed to us by our Old Testament authors. That word is shalom, which when translated is what? Peace. It's not the Pax Romana. Pax Romana is a definition of peace that we are given because this entire structure of the Roman Empire is built on this one presupposition that might makes right. And their judgments were final and fatal. And Jesus, you're a competitor power, and this is a competitor theology, so I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're going to silence you permanently in the cross, and we're going to show everybody that we've won, except they couldn't kill him. 
Legend has it, can't find this in scripture, but legend has it that Herod, who was in that time an accomplice to the death of Christ, legend has it that when Herod was told, uh, we hear rumors that this Jesus was raised from the dead, <laughs> but legend has it that Herod said, we cannot have that. We cannot have the people that we've killed come back to life. Jesus demolished the house of cards known as a power structure. Demolished it. And so you have this massive worship service celebrating all of this. John is taken up and given this opportunity to see this massive celebration, this massive service of worship where all of creation is saying, yes, yes, this is how God knit all of creation together. This is what this is supposed to look like. Love, winning, love, winning, love, winning. And so you have in chapter four this massive, massive service of worship out of which we get this song that we heard this morning. And then in chapter five, then in chapter five, there's a story and it goes something like this. Even in the midst of this giant worship service, someone emerges holding a scroll that we believe had all the answers for all of the deepest questions about life. Like, why does this happen? Why do people suffer? What is going on? But the scroll was so tightly wrapped and so tightly wound, no one could open it. And so John, knowing that these are the answers that he desperately needed, started to weep. Somebody comes over and puts a hand on John's shoulder and says, don't weep, don't weep, don't weep. We got somebody who can open that thing. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Think now about an Aslan-esque character, so big and so scary and so powerful that no scroll could ever withstand his might. And so they all clear out of the way because still, even then, they were intoxicated by powerful images. So are you. So am I. Intoxicated by these images of power. Is it possible that deep within you, deep within me, we still believe that might makes right? Do we only trust circumstances when we have the upper hand in terms of power? Yeah. I'm going to answer that for us. Yeah. And so all these people prepare to see this monstrous lion come down the aisle, but what comes down the aisle is a lamb, as if it had been slaughtered. And the lamb opened the scroll. Truth in creation, God's creation, the wisdom, the deep wisdom in all of creation is not might makes right. I don't care how much you trust your guns, and some of you trust your guns. I'm not saying you shouldn't have guns. Listen to me, listen to me. You can't have guns in here. But you can have your guns. But if you trust your guns to do for you what your Savior wants to do for you, there's a word for that. Idol worship. The always slaughtered lamb says, let me show you what the truth is. Whew. And the always slaughtered lamb is in fact able to open the scrolls and tell us 
the truth. Tell us the truth. Now, as we move on to chapter 6, you have a very familiar, frightening sort of image, okay? These are the four horsemen. You ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've heard of them before. All right. The rest of you aren't paying attention. Okay. <clears throat> what happens now in chapter 6 is this. Remember, this is not about all that's going to happen. This is about what happens all the time. And so what's being said is this. What happens all the time when any power positions itself as the ultimate power, there's going to be a real problem. It's going to have deathly ramifications. And these deathly ramifications, and by the way, you can trace history, this happens 100% of the time are characterized in these artistic images. The white horse. There will be wars between nations. When you are built on power, you want to fight and tell everybody else how much more powerful you are than everybody else. Rome was an ultimate sort of superpower, and they intended to demonstrate and communicate that they were the biggest bully on the block, and this is how life actually was. And so they would fight and fight and fight and fight. But there's a country nearby, the Parthians. They were better on horseback than the Romans were. The Romans never could beat them because of the cavalry skills, but they fought all the time, and there was death. The red horse, enmity, you're going to have something akin to a civil war all the time. When you are built on power, there will be power struggles within your house, and at some point, there will be death because you are fighting one another. Black horse, economic exploitation. And you can read it, it's as plain as day right there in your book in chapter six. There is economic exploitation. The stuff that you need every day, that stuff is gonna be wildly expensive, but the stuff that the rich people really want, we're not gonna to touch the prices there. And people will die because of it. And then finally, death. The last horse that ugly creature on that last horse, is death. What the book of Revelation is trying to say is, look, the always slaughtered lamb is trying to tell us how the universe is knit together and how it can all work. But when you don't believe it and you choose power instead of the always slaughtered lamb's demonstration of suffering love, when you choose power to organize your communities, to organize your life and your heart, to organize your imagination, to organize your household, to organize your city, your state, your country, when you choose power to be the dominant organizing principle, you have this to look forward to. War, enmity, exploitation, and death every single time. Those are the first four seals the lamb was able to open. The fifth one is heartbreaking. The fifth seal were all the people who were caught in the crossfire of what we just seen, because that happens. All caught in the crossfire. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been caught in the crossfire, slaughtered for the word of God and for the testimony they had given. So, hear me, 
here's what we are not saying. We're not saying that when you choose the right side, when you choose this Jesus character, when you choose suffering love, your suffering days are over. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, we're saying the opposite of that. If you choose to live according to the example given to us in the cross of Christ, if you choose to live according to suffering love, hear it, you're going to suffer because you love. Here's what they were saying. They cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how much longer? How much longer? Dependent on the missionary we have up front, Carol, there are still missionaries who will come up here and say, there are still people crying out, how much longer will my faith cost me blood? How much longer will my faith cost me life? Now in Oklahoma City, not often are evangelical people persecuted to the point of death, like never. However, in evangelical circles in 2019 in Oklahoma City, if you choose life and choose against the power method, there might be some persecution there. That perhaps will leave you asking the question, God, when do we get to win? How long? How long? We move now to the chapter that is our text today, and I'm actually, believe it or not, going to bring it into land here pretty soon. There's another worship service. We're in the throne room of God, and we're in this other worship service, and now... We have an additional, set, an additional set of voices that have joined the choir, and they are the voices of these martyrs who have joined the choir. John looks up, and there was a great multitude that no one could count. These little churches needed to hear from the author here that we're a part of a much larger movement than just the 20 or 30 that are at your church. Just a few more than the several hundred that are here at our church. We're a part of something much bigger, and they really need to hear it, and we really need to hear it from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, hey, who do you think these people are? Robed in white, and where have they come from? <laughs> who are these folks robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows and then he said to me in answer to his own question, these are the ones who have been persecuted because of their faith. They have come out of the great ordeal and they have washed their robes. This is counterintuitive, right? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. I, I want to go ahead and tell you something. If you go home tonight and you wash a white garment in blood, it will not come out white. What's being said here should not be understood with your scientist mind, but let your theological artist awaken to hear me say this. This is the demonstration not of God's anger. This is a demonstration not of God's anger that will be moved to finally demonstrate who's the biggest bully on the block. 
This, if you're listening from home, I am pounding on the cross now. <laughs> this is a demonstration of how far love will go to make love's point. And let's go ahead and continue that statement. Here's how far love will go to make love's point. All the way to death and back. This is what it means to be Christian. Not that we win every battle, not that we win every arm wrestling match that we're ever in because God bless us, we're just stronger than everybody else. We win because we love in the tradition of the always slaughtered lamb better known as Jesus. And when you identify your life with this one, that's when you are washing your robe in Christ's blood and now purity is not so much. See, it used to be in the Old Testament that purity, purity was understood in this way. You separate yourself, especially from blood. But anymore, purity gets a new definition. Purity happens when you associate yourself with the blood of Christ who says, this is how much God loves. This is how much Christ loves. And so this is how much we love. It's costly. How's your robe? How's your robe? <sighs> Reading on from... Verse 15, for this reason, these martyrs are before the throne of God and they worship him day and night within his temple and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John, is this a message of comfort for those who have already passed? Perhaps they've been martyred. Is this a message of comfort for folks who are already in God's presence because they have died? Well, yes. And it's for us. It's promise and hope for us who would dare to be, and here's a great word, great time to use this term, it's for us who would dare to be, you ready? Christian. Because we have chosen suffering love as our operating system over and against power. How's your robe? You don't know what it's like at work. I don't need to know what it's like at work. They killed Jesus. You don't know what it's like at my house. I don't need to know what it's like at your house. I'd like to know, actually, I'll talk with you about that. Uh, keep in mind, Jesus knows this is a costly way to go about life. And hear me as we finish, it's the way that we win. It's the way that renovation happens. We start with demolition. <laughs> we knock 
the supports out from underneath the power structure by suffering love. We watch that house of cards fall and we partner with God to rebuild God's creation. This is not new. Way back when, God said to Jeremiah, who's gonna say to the people of God, see, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow and to build and to plant. Not using the weapons of the enemy, but using the resources granted to us in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Got a text this morning (laughs) from a very dear friend that said, hey, can you sum up the book of Revelation in one phrase? (laughs) Yeah, try this one on. The lamb. The always slaughtered lamb has won is winning and will win through us if we'll let it happen. So we need to be trained. So if you're helping us today, would you please come on down front? We're about to take communion and and keep in mind what we're about to hold in our hands, blood and broken body. I mean, this is that liturgy that helps us. God, help us. God, help us to reimagine our situations and help us to know when to demolish and when to restore. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, God, strengthen us, strengthen our hands, strengthen our minds, strengthen our imaginations so that we can see as you see, dream as you dream, walk as you walk, decide as you decide, help as you would have us to help. God, make us mindful of what is happening now. That a God who demonstrated the reach and the greatness and the power of suffering love would share this mission and ministry with us. Help us to know, God, that we are all in one moment being reminded that we have been reached, though that reach was painful to your son. And remind us too, God, that through us you can reach powerfully as we identify ourselves with Christ, as we wash our robes in Christ's blood. God, would you do this as well? In these moments, would you make us mindful, give us eyes to see where there might be horsemen about. Give us eyes to see what it might look like as a still rebellious world still chooses power as opposed to suffering love and help us to be good and faithful demolishers, renovators, and restorers. If you are visiting with us today in a moment, I will ask you to stand to your feet. All of you who would like to participate, none are compelled to participate, but all are invited to participate. And all who would say yes to that invitation are invited to stand, exit your pew to the left, to your left, and then to come forward with your hands cupped and walk towards somebody holding a plate of bread. As you get close, that person holding a plate of bread will snap off a piece and press it into your hands. Hear what is going to be said to you. This is what's going to be said to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. 
Take that piece of bread. It would be placed into your cupped hands. That's how we receive grace. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. And when you do, over here, Augustina will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Blood shed. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. And can I give you something to pray? God, help me. I don't want to ride one of these horsemen. I want to be identified the slaughtered lamb. And even if you're not ready to pray that prayer, then pray this one. God, I sure wish I wanted to be identified with the always slaughtered lamb. In other words, save me from myself. Save me from a culture desperate for power, bloodthirsty. If you would like, you can come around here and dip your finger into the same baptismal font that we use to initiate Charlie into the kingdom and to the family today. Perhaps you need to be reminded that you too are invited and initiated into this movement, this very strange and particular movement. This water is available for you to do just that. If you come to one of these side padded altars to pray, we will assume that you're there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for you. It might be physical, mental, emotional, familial, otherwise relational, but someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for you. Ken, if you'll help us on this side over here today. Maybe you wanna to come to one of these mourner's benches, kneeling benches here. We won't assume a thing, but at some point, someone will touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder to remind you that you are not alone because you're not, or you can circle right back around to your seat. But if you do, please pray that God would align you with the always slaughtered lamb. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup, hold it before them and say, this is my blood shed for you. And every time you drink of it, like today, remember me. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God, meant for the people of God.